listening to Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Hope you're doing well. Um, okay, here's a plan. Um, I'm, I typically do high school and middle, middle school type stuff. And uh, a buddy of mine, John, walked up to me a couple days ago and he said, you know why you're preaching Sunday, right? And I was like, well... I just figured because Brad needed a break. He's been pulling one a week, and some of us guys who pull two a weeks, you know, we got to get a chance. Um, and so he said, no, man, you're not, you're not preaching to, to do that. He said, it's because Brad knows a rapture's coming Saturday. He don't want to spend four days planning a lesson he's not going to teach. He'd rather you do that. I said, all right, whatever. So it looks like it worked out that... Uh, Triple A got the call, and JV gets a chance to pitch, pitch in the big game. So that's exciting for me. Uh, what, what, oh, let me say this real quick. Since I'm the youth pastor, I'm going to be the youth pastor for a minute here. Uh, we've got a handful of trips this summer. I'm not going to tell you all about it, but, but what I do want to tell you is kind of our heart in youth ministry towards trips. Um, it is not our desire, my desire, anybody on the leadership's desire that youth meet separately, we meet separately, men, women, military, all that. We really want to be one body brought together for the common purpose of seeking and glorifying God. And so in our summer trips, I think we may have a little thing to throw up there. In our summer trips, everyone's invited. They're geared towards the young people, but everyone is always invited because to put it simply and to put it bluntly, they need you and you need them. Uh, without going into a whole lot of unpacking of Scripture. And so, anyway, there's one each month. Uh, a couple of them are overnighters. One's a day trip. And so, anyway, you can check that out, register for it, and all that kind of stuff on the website. Just wanted to let you know that was there. Okay, and so here's the plan today. Doing kind of a one-off sermon can be a, a little bit of a different thing. Um, usually, we just kind of track through Scripture. You guys uh, are going through First Corinthians. High school's been doing Luke. Middle school's been doing the book of Genesis. Um, but what I wanted to do today, and, and the Lord's really had it heavy on my heart for a few months, is knowing and doing His will. And when I say that, I don't mean in the broad general sense of His will. Loving people, loving God, going to church, reading your Bible, praying. I think we all get that for the most. If you've been coming here for a few weeks, I think you get that. What I'm referring to is knowing God's specific individualized plan and purpose for you today, tomorrow. That's what I, I, I want to talk about today. And what we're going to do is we're going to use the book of Daniel, the first couple chapters, as a backdrop to that. And then we're going to fast forward to the uh, New Testament for some application and stuff like that. So that's what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and let me pray, and then we will get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for every heart and soul and mind that is in this room. Father, you have brought us for your purpose and to bring you glory. And so, Father, I, I pray that you would very simply and very effectively move me out of your way, that your Holy Spirit would speak truth, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring encouragement. Father, that we would not leave the people that we came in because, Father, you are a creator and you want to do new things in us each time we spend a moment in your presence. And so I pray that you would do that. Father, I, I also want to ask that we would be an individual that is on a mission for you. Because only when we are an individual that is on a mission for you can this church be a body that is on mission for you. And Father, we live in a broken, jacked up, dark world that is inundated with sin and selfishness. And we need you. And so, Father, I, I pray that at this time and in this morning, in this setting, that you would do amazing and abundant things. And, Father, when it comes to your plan for me, when it comes to your plan for us, I pray that we would remember. You, you tell us in Ephesians 2 that you have foreordained. Your, your word says that we were created in Christ for good works, which you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, Father, I pray that we would not buy into the lie that your will for us is some mystical, difficult, impossible thing that we never figure out. You're, you're not trying to hide it from us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, we would tether our hearts and our minds and our souls to your word, to your spirit, that we would be able to know what you have given us breath and energy and life for in this place. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
All right, we're going to start in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to do a little bit of jumping. Uh, if you've got a pew Bible, it's uh, page 513, Daniel chapter 1. That's where we're going to start. Don't let the names throw you. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Nutshell version, the Israelites, God's people, are being handed over to a foreign king. You don't have to remember all the names. The important thing to remember is that they're not only going and being conquered by another country, another group, but God has actually delivered his people over for his own purposes. It goes on and it says this. I'm going to jump down. No, I won't. I'll just keep going. That way we don't lose each other. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he placed the vessels of the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competence to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Now, you know these guys. It's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Lion's Den, Fiery Furnace. You know these people. However, their names were changed. This is not a perfect illustration, and I don't know how many of you guys are going to recognize this reference. I think this movie may have come out before I did, but I loved it, but I can't recommend it from the pulpit. So don't go see it, but it would be a great illustration for this. There was a movie that came out called Red Dawn. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I say, okay, and the general concept, and it may have horrible language, so please do not go Netflix this and be like, our our youth pastor said we should really check this out. There's a lot of good, okay, that's what I'm saying. But the concept is this. I I think it's, it's it's in a Cold War era, and there's this, this town, this small village, and you're kind of following the high schoolers through it. And all of a sudden, it's just a regular day at school, and the next thing you know, communists from Cuba start descending by parachute in, shooting up the place, running, you know, just everybody's running crazy, trying to save their lives as much as they can, etc., and so on. They grab them, they put them in camps, and the rest of the story is how the high schoolers try to make it through, okay? Cool concept, all right? But what's neat about it is, I think when I read this kind of stuff, it's difficult for us to attach ourselves to it. It's difficult for us to say, okay, how do I put myself in that position? Because to be honest with you, right now, especially recently, we had a real big win in our war on terror. And the thought of somebody busting in those doors and saying, you're not going to live the life that you expected to live the way that you expected to live it, is extremely foreign to us. And so here's what we have in a nutshell. We have these guys, and and we know a few things about them. We know that they were young and that they were able. We know that they were smart. We know that they were good-looking, and we know that they came from affluent families. And what happens is when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he, he thinks this thing through. He doesn't go through and kill all of the ruling class so that all of the serfs and the plebes and everybody else eventually revolt, what he does is he says, no, 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 I'm going to assimilate them in. The young men that were going to become the presidents, the young men that were going to become the congressmen, the politician, the leaders, those are the guys, I want you to grab them, and I want you to get the good ones. Get the guys who look good, okay? It doesn't hurt. Get the ones who look good, get the ones who are smart, get the ones who are able, bring them together, we're going to train them for three years. And so that is what we have with Daniel. And so you can imagine, put yourself in those shoes. He's probably around 16 years old at this point, has his entire life ahead of him, and it is a good life. He was born into the right family. He's able. He's wise. His whole life is ahead of him. And in an instant, everything changes. Everything changes. And, And to drive the point home, they change his name. Well, that's not that big a deal. I mean, we all nickname each other, but it wasn't like that. You see, Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all had names that pointed to God. And then when they come in, they give them different names. And their name is no longer about God. It's about this deity or this idol or this thing. The very thing that aligned them with their God has been taken away. Not only that, the food that they're being given because of the king is food that they have grown up as seeing as sinful. Hang on, sorry. I'm moving around a lot. Okay. 
It's food that they have grown up seeing as sinful. To eat that would be sin for me. Am I good? Okay, all right. It's just I'm hearing it, I guess. Take them, put them in a new place. Change their name. And what I, what I find similar with us, and that is this. I know that life is dealing some very significant blows in this room. I know it because I see them come across my desk. I see the prayer requests. I, I see the people who were fine but are now struggling financially. The folks who had a job but don't have a job. The folks who have been praying for this opportunity and have missed it. The people who raised their children in the admonition of the Lord, hoping that they would send them away and see them grow, and instead they've seen them flounder and flop. And my question to you and my question to us is this. When that happens, when life and trouble and difficulty hit, when the plan that you had for yourself crumbles in front of you for no doing of your own, what is your response? Because this is what I love about Daniel. Verse 8 says this. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. He basically said this, you can change my name, you can change my location, you can change my job, you can change my customs, but you will not change my God. You're not going to do it. You can change all that about me, but my God is sovereign still. And God blesses him for it. And, And, you know, I think all of that, that brokenness in us that doesn't respond that way, that when difficulty and trouble happens, I think the difficulty all stems from the fact that we all have this plan that we've already written out for ourselves. We can all close our eyes and say, this is what I'm expecting. This is how the rest of my life is going to go. And, and I don't know if it's because we live in a country that has this tag, the American dream. I, I don't know what it is, but we all have something, and it goes something like this. I'm a kid. I'm five years old. I'm going to go to school. I, I, I'm going to try and get good grades because I don't want to get in trouble when I get home. But what I'm looking forward to is summer and swimming, and that's what I'm pumped about. And then we get a little bit older, and it, it, it's no longer summer and swimming. That's great and all, but now I've got Little League Baseball. And I've got dance. I don't know, girls. I do the best I can with illustrations for girls. I wasn't a daughter. I do not have a daughter. And so I do the best that I can. But, but that's what happens. We, get, we, we become kids and we start getting into these things that begin to define us. Little league, basketball, soccer, sports, clubs, whatever it is. And then we, we, we continue to grow up a little bit. And we get into high school. And it's like, well, I want to get a good job. I, I need to finish this gig. I, I'd like to go to college, Maybe. And, and, and so that's what we become about. Then, then we continue on. We become a young adult. And we start saying, well, you know what? I'd like to have a wife. I'd like to have a husband. And all of these things we put before saying, God, what is your plan? What is your will? What is your desire for me right now in this place? And we have this life. And we think that at some point, this, this piece of maturity is supposed to hit. And then all of a sudden, God, once I get my, my white picket fence, and once I get my family established, and once I know where I'm going, and once I've got my future figured out, then I'm going to be ready for you to tell me what it is that you have for me. There's, there's a quote from uh, Oswald Chambers, and he says this. <clears throat> Hang on. Oswald Chambers is the guy who wrote uh, My Utmost for His Highest. It's a classic devotional. He says this. God is not concerned about our plans. He doesn't ask, do you want to go through this loss of a loved one, this difficulty or this defeat? No. He allows these things for his own purpose. The things we are going through are either making us sweeter, better, and nobler men and women, or they are making us more critical and fault-finding and more insistent on our own way. The things that happen either make us evil, and I would change that. I would say it reveals the very evil that is within us, or they make us more saintly, depending entirely upon our relationship with God and its level of intimacy. That very problem that causes us not to respond the way that we see Daniel respond is because this stem, this root that says, it's my plan, it's my way, it's my deal, it's the American dream. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm supposed to do in my life. Don't mess up my plan. Why me, God? Why now? But do you know what God wants? God wants five-year-olds, the ones that are in the rooms back there. He wants them to be trained up, to be on their knees in prayer saying, God, what do you want me to do? 
What am I supposed to be doing for you today, this week? How can I love my mom? How can I love my dad? How can I hit how can I not hit my brother or sister or hide this favorite toy because I know it's going to drive them crazy? How do I do that? And then as we get older, it's not supposed to be about Little League. It's not supposed to be about dance or whatever it is. It's supposed to be about a, 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 a little boy saying, okay, God, now what? And we get into high school, and it's not supposed to be about, I can't wait to get to the next step, even though that's how we live. It's supposed to be about, well, here comes the moment of silence. We start every day with this. I'm going to open my Bible, and I'm going to exude Christ in this place so that the people who look at me and the people who know me and the people who see me eat at the lunchroom will know that there's something different about me. And it's not because I'm a kook, and it's not because I have a WWJD bracelet. It's not because I wear a shirt with rainbows on it that says, God is the one. Yay! You don't, if you want to do those things, great, do it. But you don't have to. If you just carry this thing around, trust me, that's going to make you odd enough. That's what, and God wants young adults, single adults, to say, I'm going to worry more. I'm going to pursue more my intimacy with my Savior than my intimacy with a guy or a girl. And when you're ready, bring it. But until then, you are my focus. My eyes are on the cross. And married couples, he wants you writing his word all over your house. He wants it dry erased in the shower. He wants it written on the mirror. Husbands, he wants you looking to your wife saying, how are you doing on our verse this week? That's what God wants. He wants families tonight sitting around a Bible with a masculine voice of a father speaking that word to his children and to his wife and praying saying, God, what is this family supposed to be doing for you now in this place where you have us? That's what he wants. And when we allow ourselves to move away from our own plans, that's when we start to see God's will realized in our life. You see, the very first thing is it's about God's timing, not about yours. Do you think this is what Daniel wanted? No, he had everything set up. He had it figured out. But when it went differently, when the timing was different, he didn't get thrown off his horse because he had always said, God, it's your timing, not mine. Come what may, come hell, come high water, come difficulty, I am not turning my back on you. And he's 16 years old. And, 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 and let me just say this, and I'll move to my next point. A lot of us ask the question, what is God's will for my life? I think it's a good question. I think it comes from a godly intent, but I think it's exceedingly unbiblical. And and let me tell you why. In all of human history, we've seen one person have that question answered, and it was Christ. And it was actually answered before he was able to ask it here because of all the prophecies written. But what we actually see in Scripture, as far as somebody saying, what's God's will for my life, like... Really? Like, God, I need to know what's going to... I'm, I'm 28 right now. I need to know what's going to happen in the next 40 years. If I'm not going to have 40 years, if you could let me know that, that'd be great too. But I need to know your will. I need to see this whole thing laid out for me, and then I'll follow. Really? Because I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I read in Scripture. I read God speaking to Abraham, and he says, you're going to go to this place that I'm going to show you. Okay, where is it? I'm going to show you. I I know. Go ahead. Nope. Get moving. Pack up your family. Pack up your life and go. Then I'm going to show it. Same guy. I'm also going to need you to kill your son. I don't think I heard you right, God. Something's wrong with the uh, connection here. I'm going to go fast a little bit and then I'll pray some more. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen after that? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to give you today, maybe a little bit of tomorrow. Go. Manna in the wilderness. What happened if they waited more than a day? Started to rot. I'm going to give you today's. What does the Lord's Prayer say? Give us this day our daily bread. Today. There's even this short little thing in James chapter 4 where these two men are having a dialogue about going to a new city and starting a business. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go to this new city. We're going to move. We're going to start a business. We're going to make some money. We're going to live there for a while. And then James blasts him. And he's like, what are you thinking? How do you know what tomorrow is going to bring? You're a mist. You're here today. You're gone tomorrow. Are you kidding me? Jesus sends his disciples. They've been following him for a few years. 
He's like, all right, it's go time. Time for you to go and do what I've been training you to do. Oh, and don't take a cloak. Don't take your wallet. Don't take an extra pair of clothes. Jesus, you sure about this? Just go. You see, a walk with Christ is about not knowing what the next stage is going to bring. And while I know that freaks us out a lot, that's really one of the most exciting and adventurous things about it. Not knowing what's coming over the next hill, but knowing that there is a God who loves you. And that's what's coming over the next hill. You see, that's the excitement. And we want to hedge ourselves. We want to protect ourselves against the very thing that should be our joy. And we think that when we deviate from our own plan, we're giving up our own happiness. When if we would really understand Scripture, what we would realize is when we're pursuing His glory and His plan, it brings us the most joy. Let's go back to Daniel. So Daniel, now we're going to chapter 2, verse 1. It is God's timing, not yours. It's God's timing. Chapter 2, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. He keeps waking up sweating because he's freaking out from these nightmares that he's having. And it's only the second year of his reign, which means Daniel's really only, you need to understand this, Daniel's only been there for six months, 18 months, maybe some peripheral you know, weeks on the edges there. It's not like he's established. It's not like he's figured out, well, this is who I am in Babylon. He's still a a, a teenage kid who's trying to figure this whole thing out. And now the king's having nightmares. Verse 2, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans lump it together. He's saying the wise men be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, I think this was a very smart thing for him to say, the word for me is firm. In other words, I'm not about to change my mind. Listen carefully. Do not ask for more time. This is the deal. I'm the king, and here it is. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, going a little R-rated here for a minute, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Hey, wise men, hey, y'all been hanging out. You've been enjoying all the good food. I got some good news for you. I had a dream. I'm going to need you to interpret it for me. And if you don't, I'm going to destroy you and your family, and it's not going to be pretty. Oh, and I'm not going to change my mind. And you want to know why he didn't change his mind? If you've ever taken a psychology class, you know why the king said, you're going to have to tell me my dream and interpret it. Because what ultimately happens is the king goes to the wise men, and he's like, hey, guys, I had this dream, and I woke up sweating. And, um, okay, so here's a dream. I was in my dream and I was a cow. I was a fat cow. And my hooves were made out of marshmallows. I was grazing in the grass. And the next thing I know, the moon comes up. And it begins to sizzle me to a crisp. I died and I woke up in sweat and tears. What does that mean? And they're like, well, hang on. Let's see what Freud said. We're going to flip through here. I've got my my dream dictionary right here. You just hold tight. All right, King, here's, here's the deal. Lay off the red meats and sweets and stay away from the moon festival. That's all I got. That's it. He, I mean, it's a joke. It's a joke. And so he puts him on the spot. He says, look, you're wise. You know what the deal is? You figure this thing out. And, and they get so upset at this uh, that in verse 11, here's what they say. The thing that the king asked is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods. Foreshadowing. Whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, verse 12 says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. What does this mean? What's it mean? In youth group, it's okay for people to respond back. (laughs) What's this saying? What's about to happen? Daniel is now on the chopping block. He's been there six months, maybe 18. This whole plan's been laid to ruin. And now he gets a little memo in the mailbox. Hey, heads up, guy's coming with a sword. That's what he gets. Well, great. And so what does Daniel do? I love this. I love this. Verse 13. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companion, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. I think those two words are important because he wasn't being a punk teenager. Come on, king, that's not fair. You got to think this thing through. Punishment's got to fit the crime. No, no, no. He says, look, 
prudence and discretion, he talks to Ariok, the king of the, or, or the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? He's not being a punk. He's like, hey, man, what's the deal? What's going on? We just got here. Why, why am I about to die? I, I don't even know what's happening. It goes on. It says this. And Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. He goes back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, look, guys, here's the deal. I can't do this. Interpretation of dreams is not my deal. I'm young. I'm good looking. I'm able. And I came from a good family. That's what I've got in my drawer. Same thing with you. We got to pray. So they get, they, they, they get on their knees, they pray, and that evening God reveals to Daniel. He gifts him with the ability to interpret and understand the dream. He gives it to Daniel, and then Daniel goes back to the king. I got to say, though, and see, this, I think this is a good point. It's God's timing, not yours. It's also God's gifting, not yours. Let's be, let's be honest. If Daniel was given a list of all the available gifts that had been seen in Scripture up to his day, do you think he would have picked dream interpretation? Do you, do you really think? Here's what it would have looked like. Hey, Daniel, here's the list. Thank you, God. He gets it. He's like, okay, we've got fire coming down from heaven. That's awesome. People would probably leave me alone. We don't have matches. We don't have lighters. Camping's always been a problem for me. I could see this working out. Goes on. Okay, here's another one. Healing of the sick. Okay, yeah, that could be cool. Could be very effective in war. Captains would love me. I could bring people back from the dead. I don't know if I want a bunch of sick people following me around all the time. Okay, here's one. Here's one. And then the prophet of God called two she-bears out of the woods to beat up 42 teenagers. Power over animals? Conan the Barbarian type stuff? Sign me up. What's next on the list? Showing mercy. Hmm. Hospitality. Hmm. I don't know. That's my deal. Interpretation of dreams. Do you want to know why nobody wants the interpretations of dreams? Let me give you an example. I am not making this up. Two days ago, my wife wakes me up. Or we were awake, and then she told me. I can't remember exactly. Will, I had a weird dream. Okay. What was your dream? I am not kidding. She's going to be embarrassed. <clears throat> and, and before I tell you, let me just say this. The reason nobody wants interpretation of dreams is we're jacked up people, one. Two, we filter our jacked upness, if I can use that as a word, by passing things through our head and not saying and doing everything that pops up here. And then we dream and that consciousness is removed and everything just runs amok. And that's what you tell a person and say, figure things out. So Karen Ann wakes up and she says... I had a dream that I was, I don't even know what these things are called. It's one of the surfboards that has a paddle, long board. I don't know what it's called. A what? A stand-up paddleboard. Stand-up paddleboard. Okay, that's what she was on. And she said she was, she was very upset because her stepmother was on the shore in the sand. And she had Karen Ann's prosthetic head and body and was laughing because she was getting sand on it, and Karen Ann on the stand-up paddleboard was getting upset. Do you want that as a spiritual gift? Do you want somebody to walk up to you and give you that kind of stuff and say, now what's God's will? But see, that's the, that's the amazing thing. That's the, that's the beautiful thing. It's God's timing. It's not ours. It's God's gifting. It's not ours. Which means Daniel never would have picked this thing. He'd be controlling animals or calling down fire from above. He wouldn't have picked dream interpretation. But had God not gifted him with that, he'd be dead. His friends would be dead. And one step further, this would not have occurred. So what happens? They pray. God shows him the dream. And then Daniel goes to him. And here's what we have, uh, Brandon, verse 27. Daniel 2, 27. Daniel goes to the king. Daniel answered the king and he said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. Does this sound familiar? It's the same sentence that really upset him that caused him to get ready to kill every one of them. He says that, but I love this next phrase. King, nobody can do this. It was an opportunity for him to build himself up, make a name for himself. I may have lost it in the land I came from, but I'm going to have it now. And he pushes it aside, and here's what he says. Nobody can do this. 
Verse 28. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And let me just take a moment to tell you your gift is not about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about God and bringing him glory. He makes known everything to King Nebuchadnezzar, tells him about it, and then here's what we see. Chapter 2, verse 46. Here is the king's response. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. Kings don't do that back then. Especially to a punk. He wasn't a punk. He was a pretty cool teenager, actually. But especially to some 17-year-old kid. He falls on his face and paid homage to Daniel, commanded that an offering, an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, and this was bigger for Daniel than being encouraged and lifted up and bowed, to down, bowed down to by a king. He says this, truly your God is God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And Daniel's sitting there saying, I told you so. I knew it the whole time. That's why my name was given to me because he's the real God, not the ones that you're running around with. And good, I'm glad this difficulty came because now you can see it. You see, it didn't have anything to do with his natural talent. Didn't have to do with his youth, his ability. Didn't have to do with his wisdom. Didn't have to do with the affluent family that he came from. He didn't care about any of those things at this point. Here's what he cared about. God, can you help me? I need to be able to interpret this dream. And God said, yeah, I can help you with that. And if I can make one other comment, I think it's very funny that any of us would boast in any gift that we have. Now, we know that we do it because we read all through Scripture about how we shouldn't do it. But here's what I find interesting. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not, a result, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And let me just ask you this question. If you can't boast, if you didn't have anything to do with, if you weren't the moving peace that caused you to get right with God in the first place, how asinine is it for you to then go and say that in my post-salvation state, I now have something amazing to offer? Did that go over heads or y'all follow me on that? If we can't even boast before we come to Christ, how crazy would it be for us to boast after we've come to him? And if we picked our own gifts and abilities, this church wouldn't be here. None of the churches would be here. Because some of them wouldn't get picked. Everybody would pick the cool ones. It's okay. You know you would. If everybody got to pick, there would be like a top three. But that's the beauty in it. You see, we're, you are, are a different cog and a different piece. Meant to function. Let, let me do this. I'm going to prime... Next week, 1 Corinthians 12, right? All right, I'm going to prime the pump a little bit. I'm not going to steal any thunder. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to look at three verses. I told him I was going to do this. He said it was okay. 1 <clears throat> Corinthians 12, there are just three things that I want to pull out. It says this, one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. The NIV says, I do not want you to be ignorant. So just take this as a promise. Take this as a black and white. God is not trying to hide this from you. He is not trying to hide your purpose from you. He wants you to know. He wants you to know what it is so you know how to use it, so you know what you're supposed to be doing with your life. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation the bringing about of the Spirit for the common good. Your gift is not for you. Never was, never has been. Do you want to know who your gift is for? The person sitting next to you. The person sitting in front of you. The person sitting behind you. Who may not look just like you. Who may have a very different age bracket than you. And maybe, maybe from a completely different level of affluence, demographic or whatever. That is who your gift is for. You are a unique gear that spins in a different way than everybody else in this building. And if all of us were the same, the machine of the church would not work. But he, verse 11, all of these are empowered by one and the same spirit, by God, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God has chosen for you a specific purpose and a specific plan and a specific gift, talent, or ability for where you are, not necessarily for the rest of your life, but today. Today, when you walk out of those doors, God's got something he wants you doing. 
And that uniqueness is what makes this building work. And if we ever step away from that, we may as well just close the doors and not open them up because we're not doing what God has called this building to be in the first place. Daniel had a gift. You had a gift. You have a gift. All right, so let's move on to the last point. It's God's timing, not yours. It's God's gifting, not yours. Little flip, pay attention, don't lose it now. It is your obedience, not God's. Now let me just say when I say this, I'm not calling into question God's obedience. God's going to do what he says he's going to do. That's beyond question. What is a question is, are you going to do what God is asking of you? And when we go back to Daniel, you're like, well, Will, that's a very easy thing. Either he was obedient to the gift that God had given him, or he's dead. Easy. I'd be obedient too. Hey, either you pray, or these ravenous wolves are going to eat you. Meh, okay, I'll pray. Either you pray, or you watch Sports Center. Ooh, toughy. See what I'm saying? So what we find, and just let me prove to you Daniel's character, what we find in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's the fiery front, they will not bow down, they choose to be obedient, and it could have and probably should have costed their life had God not, had God not intervened. Then in chapter 6, we see Daniel, and the decree goes out, no one can pray to anyone except for the king, and Daniel says, well, sorry, didn't do an I-16, not doing it now. I'm going to be obedient to God. He is obedient to God. Gets tossed down into the lion's den. We find out at this time that the king has a very loving, apparently, relationship with Daniel. He's upset this whole thing happens. And at the first opportune moment, runs in there, pulls it back. And there Daniel is completely fine. So the question is, will you be obedient as Daniel was obedient? And, and let me just, let me read you two verses. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Everything that you need for life and for godliness has been afforded to you. Everything. You lack nothing on account of God. Not only that, Ephesians 2.10, and I prayed this at the beginning, says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good. Do you wonder, have you ever wondered this? Why are you still here? If you've accepted Christ, you've met the prerequisite for heaven, what are you still doing here? Now, if you haven't accepted Christ, that question is actually a very, very legitimate question as well. Why am I still here? Well, by God's divine and good grace to you that he hasn't done what you have deserved, but he has given you time that you may turn and repent from your sins and look to Christ and look to the cross. But if you have already done that, what are you still doing here? You've met the prerequisite. Well, let me tell you what you're still doing here. Ephesians 2.10. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you woke up this morning, God prepared beforehand works that you should walk in. Not only that, what we just read out of 2 Peter says, and he's given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. You and I are without excuse. So what we're left with is, Will I be obedient? And I know you're still sitting here saying, Will, I don't know God's will for my life. That's okay. I haven't gotten to that part yet. But before we even figure that out, are you willing to say within your very heart, mind, and soul that I'm going to be obedient to what God calls me to? Even if it's a death of my own dream? All right. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Um, I think it's because it's kind of what I grew up with, and I like a couple of the wordings in this a little different. I'd like everybody to turn here. This is your homework. This is your take-home. This is your, you know, application. Go on and do Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This, young couples, is what should be dry erased on your marker, or dry erased markered on your mirror. 
This is what should be written in your cars. This is what you should be carrying in your wallet. This needs to be written on your heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, as you recognize what God has done for you, in view of that, I urge you, I compel you, I exhort you to do this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It is not showing up on Sunday morning. It is not raising your hand, singing louder, bowing your head, closing your eyes, or any of the other little functions and things that we do. Do you want to know how to worship God? Make yourself a living sacrifice. How do I do that? Galatians 22, 20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You want to be a living sacrifice? Kill I. It's not about you anymore. Be willing to crawl onto the sacrificial altar of God and say, my life is not mine. My life is yours. I was bought with a price. You do with it what you will. And if that means I last six more months or 60 more years, it matters not to me because I know where I'm going. And when I get there, I want to get there for a reason. That's being a living sacrifice. It goes on, it says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have got to look different. And I said it earlier. It doesn't mean you have to dress different. doesn't mean you have to act like a kook. doesn't mean you have to have on a WWJD bracelet or a goofy tee. If you want to do it, do it. I'm actually wearing, this is one of my kids' like new band shirts, Among the Fallen. He will be so pumped that I said it like in the sermon. He's like, we just got recognition. It doesn't matter. What matters is what is under that? What is behind that? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the one, two, and three of knowing God's will for your life. Give everything up. Decide that you are not going to live a life of your own. And let me just say, I have lost some of you there. Some of you are going to be unwilling to do that. But for those of you who are, proceed to step two. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do this? You make this and this synonymous. God's word intentionally says your mind. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 119 says. Psalms 1, blessed is the man who does not walk in the way, oh, I'm going to screw it up. This is going to kill the illustration, isn't it? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners or stand or sit. I'm going to read it to you. It's a little confusing. Oh, it's behind me. (laughs) Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. Why does everything he does prosper? Why is he bearing fruit? Why is his leaf not withering? Because his delight is in the law of the Lord and not in the things of this world. He's not filling his mind with trash. He's filling his mind with God's word. Some of you will be lost there. But if you're still tracking, here's the beautiful promise of God. Then. Brandon, I may not have given you NIV. I didn't, did I? My bad, bro. I asked Brandon if he could do tech today because he does tech in youth. And I tend to throw a lot of audibles at him. He was also ushering today. So anyway, sorry, bro. Then, 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 one, living sacrifice. Two, renewing of your mind, not conforming to this world. Three, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. James 1.22 says this. Do not be hearers of the word only, and thus deceive yourselves but do what it says that is a scary verse on a Sunday morning can I tell you why because all of you right now are being hearers of the word and in James we read do not be hearers of the word only and thus 
deceive yourselves. You can be fooling yourself right now if you do not walk out of this place and do what it says. But if you will, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And and here's the whole deal. I love this church. I love what I do. I love the staff that I have an opportunity to do it with. But I want our church to be a church that is on mission for God. I don't care how many people we can pack in on a Sunday. Don't care if we've got an awesome looking VBS, which we don't this year, by the way. I I, I don't care about all those things. I want to know if this church is living God's will in God's way today so that mission and evangelism and his word and his will and his glory would exude from this place. And here's the tricky part. It's not up to Brad or me or the staff. We play a part just as much as you do. You see, before a church can be on mission for God, we as individuals have to be on mission for God. And before we can be on mission for God, you have got to be on mission for God. And before you can be on mission for God, you need to know what that mission for you is. And before you can do that, you need to desire to be a living sacrifice that is going to make yourself about this. And we do it backwards. We say, God, here's the deal. I want to do your will. Tell me what it is, then I'm going to get my life straight, and I'm really going to live it for you. There's a reason it's written the way it is. No, 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 no. You want to know what God's will is? Living sacrifice. Stop looking like this world. Then know it. And here's the deal. Some of you need to join the team in the first place. Some of you don't know Christ. And let me just tell you, and I am not trying to be hard, and I'm not trying to be difficult, but a life without Christ is not a life worth living. And many of you with a testimony who came to Christ later in life know what I'm talking about. Some of you need to get on the team. Some of you have been coming and hearing, and you need to do it. You don't need to to deceive yourself by being a hearer of the word only. You need to do it. You need to look to the cross, and you need to say, yes, I know I'm broken. I've been told I'm broken. I can feel that I'm broken. I get it. I know that I can't fix myself. Only God can fix me. And you know what? I'm down for it. I'm ready for it. I'm sorry I've been running. I'm sorry I've been rebelling. Here I am. I want to be on the team. Some of you need to do that today. Some of us need to get off the bench. We've been wearing our Jason Hayward shirt, rooting from the bench, instead of realizing that God has created a jersey with your own name on the back and your own number, and he wants to call it. He wants to put you in a play. He wants to throw you the pass. Insert female illustration. I don't know. I really don't. But he can't because you're too busy sitting on the bench. Will, what's the bench? That's the bench. You're sitting on it now. Will you get up? Will you let him call your number? Will you run? Will you be a part of the team and not just a bystander? It's our culture. Click. I love watching this. Football, baseball, whatever it is. Christianity is not a spectator sport. And some of us have this mentality that Christianity is a part of my life when if we would know God's word, we would realize that our life is a piece of the greater thing that is Christianity. And then finally, some of you have been running plays. And some of you have been a spinning cog that's been working overtime. God bless you. God bless folks that are doing it right now so that we can sit in here without kids going, I'm running amok. Some of you have been doing it. And God bless you. And, and, I, and my prayer and my hope for you is that you wouldn't get weary, but that you would trust in His strength and that He would renew you. That you would have patience for the gift that is to come, that the seed of the gospel that you're putting in, that you would have patience to watch it grow. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, guys, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, 
holy and pleasing to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Just don't do it. Decide that you're not. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Make God's word a priority, families. Make it a priority. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Let's pray. Father, we are helpless and needy. And we're selfish and we're arrogant. And yet you love us. Blows me away every time that I get to pray that the God of the universe loves me, loves us. We we weren't worthy of it. We didn't deserve it. And not only do you love us, but you've made a plan for us. You made a place for us in your family. And we don't just become a picture on the wall in your family. We become an acting, moving part. And you have born us into this age and brought us into this place at this time that we would do what you have called us to do. And so, Father, I just pray that that is what we as a body would be about. Your mission, your plan, your timing, and our obedience brought together in a beautiful mess that is called a church, that your word would be preached, that your name would be made great in this place, in this city, and in the world. So that we would see people turn and say, your God is the true God. Your life is the life worth living. And so, Father, in this group of people today, I pray that you would do work pray that some of those who need to get on the team that haven't would recognize that your arms are open wide. You've got a jersey with their name on it and a plan for them if they would only come to you and repent of their brokenness. And Father, for those who are a part of your family, but they've been watching, they've been waiting, pray, Father, that you would convict and bring uh, just a a Holy Spirit-sized blessing of conviction and power to them that they would stand up and they would start running, running the race that you've called them to. And for those who have been, Father, may they not grow weary and tired. May they look to you as their source, as their support, as their everything. May they find ultimate joy in their service and may we as a body be the very people that you've called us to it's in christ's name we pray amen